Hey there, Pastor Mark Jordan here from Hope Church. Thank you for stopping by and welcome to our online ministry. While you're here, make sure to subscribe to our podcast so you can stay up to date on all the content that's released. And while you're online, visit us at our webpage at placeofhope.org. Hope Church is on a mission to introduce people to Jesus and fuel their love for Him. And we hope that this message today is helpful and inspiring for you as you continue to take your next step on your faith journey. Once again, thanks for visiting us and make sure to check us out at placeofhope.org. My mom likes to say, what God brings you to, God will bring you through. And I know mom's watching the live stream, so. Hi, mom. It means a lot to me, particularly with all the craziness that we experience in life. But God is a God that is in the business of bringing us through the stuff that we go through. Amen? So. If you have not done so, this might be a good time for you, if you'd like, to pull out your Hope Church Plus app so you can use the following notes if you're interested. Uh, If you don't have the app or prefer pen and paper, they are inserted into your info guide. And I put links in the live stream uh, chat boxes for, for both Facebook and YouTube if you happen to be watching online, so you can access them there. Last week, we began our September series, which is called The Power of Three. The idea between or behind this series is that we're looking at elements of threes that show up in the scripture. Last week we began by exploring God as the Holy Trinity, how God exists in pure relationship. And all three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, are involved in creation and our redemption and recreation. We talked about how God the Father creates and brings forth life. Jesus is the one who pays the penalty for our sin. And Jesus is the one who gives us the salvation that we need. And it is the Holy Spirit who, as we talked about during the baptism, was also involved in creation. It's the Holy Spirit that empowers us to live for God. And I referenced spiritual gifts on Friday. We shared through our social media apps and things, a spiritual gift inventory. If you are curious about your spiritual gifts, uh, morbidly or otherwise, I would invite you to take a look at those. And let me know if you have any questions about what was revealed to you. Because spiritual giftedness is important. We believe that spiritual giftedness is God's gift to us. But it's more like God in us that enables and empowers us to do the work that God needs us to do in our relationships, both with individuals as well as within the church. And so we are taking that the next step in this series by looking at the way that we understand God's grace, which is God's love. So really quickly, we have uh, some quick breakdowns of what God's grace represents. Uh, first of all, from a definitional point of view, should be on our next slide. Unless it's hanging up. Okay, very good. Sometimes that happens, uh, which is why I always have notes here, just in case. So God's unconditional love is the definition of grace. It is God's unconditional love. It is unearned. There is nothing you can do to earn the love of God. This is God's gift to you and to me and to all the world. And it is given freely. Okay, so those are the three basic breakdowns of how we see and understand God's grace. It's God's unconditional love that you and I cannot earn, and it is freely given. We see this played out as it pertains to salvation in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, where the Apostle Paul wrote these words, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. So, salvation comes to you and to me through grace, 
Again, it's God's unconditional love. We don't earn it. And it is a gift that is freely given. Now, as the Apostle Paul continues in that passage from Ephesians chapter 2, the reason that we see laid out for why God's salvation or gift of salvation to us through his grace is so that none of us can boast, right? I sometimes jokingly refer to Tom Thumb theology, right? Tom Thumb theology, really the old nursery rhyme? Tom Thumb stuck in his thumb and pulled out a plum and said, my, what a good boy am I? Right? That's how we so frequently approach salvation. We think that we earn it, we deserve it, that God gives it to us because, because we just deserve it, right? Because we're good. No. None of us are good enough on our own. The scripture tells us all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But the salvation that we receive comes because of God's unconditional love, freely given to us. There's nothing we can do to earn it. If you are a parent, you've probably experienced this with a child, particularly when they were tiny. And they are bundles of mess and noise. Right? Those are not the typical things that we look at and say, my goodness, I want to sacrifice everything I am and everything I have for this little helpless creature. But there's something about it, about the connection that we receive there, that absolutely changes who we are from the inside out, doesn't it? We see these bundles of mess and noise, and we know there is not a single thing in the world we would not sacrifice down to and including our very lives to make sure that that child is protected and loved and nurtured and cared for. It's a peculiar thing, isn't it? We have a crate for our golden retriever, but we haven't put Ethan in a crate in a couple months. <laughs> I'm teasing it. Little Flora, I'm kidding you. But you know, that's, that's the thing that's so amazing and so unusual about the way that we look at love, unconditional love, is that when we see these creations that we have, when the one we baptize is one sitting here on the front row, we think, my goodness, all the expense, all the inconvenience, all the fatigue, all the heartache, some would look at it and say it's not worth it. But that's not how a parent feels about a child, is it? Is it? Not at all. That's how God's grace works in our life as well. God goes to those incredible, indescribable lengths to make sure that we are protected and that we are loved and cared for. God's greatest desire in this world is for you to know that he loves you. He wants to save you and redeem you so that you can be with him in heaven. That is the complete motivation of the heart of God to love you, to save you, to redeem you, to restore you, and to set you out into the world so the world can see the love of God by the way that we all love. In our Methodist or Wesleyan tradition, we come to understand grace in three different ways, right? Yeah, you knew there was a little hook for three in here somewhere, didn't you? We come to know how the love of God is manifest to us, this grace of God is manifest to us in three different ways. And so we're going to look at John Wesley and grace 
John Wesley is the founder of the Methodist movement. If you've had an opportunity to go through my pastor classes, you may know that John and his brother Charles, uh, they were active in the mid to late 1700s. John was an Episcopalian priest, actually Anglican. Episcopalian is an Americanized version of it, but John was an Anglican priest. And he came to Georgia to try to evangelize the natives and the savages. Landed on St. Simon's Island and had a wonderful difficult ministry in South Georgia and went back to England. But it was on his journey where he came to realize, even after he had been uh, fully trained and educated uh, and served as a pastor and as a missionary, it was where he came to the love of God that radically seeks to transform our lives. And Wesley developed this doctrine of grace, and he wanted to live into it in a very disciplined fashion. And he was so disciplined that the people who saw John and Charles and some of their other friends get together to study the Bible, to pray, to fast, and to go serve in communion, serve communion, go serve in the community, they called them Methodists, not as a compliment, as a pejorative. Look at those Methodists. They have a method for everything. Well, yeah, yeah. It's our strength. It can be our weakness sometimes too. But that's how the Methodist movement came to be. All through John's experience that brought him closer to God and then he wanted to share that with the world. And so Wesley came up with this and articulated this three-pronged approach to grace. The first way that Wesley taught we understand grace is called prevenient grace, which is God's grace at work before we even know it. It also is known as preventing grace. It's that kind of grace that if you've ever gone through your life and you felt like there was a little, you know, a little bird on your shoulder, so to speak, that's telling you to, to slow down and you see a couple off, off in the distance, right? Or uh, tell you not to go there. Don't go into that situation. Don't go out with that person. Don't take a sip of that drink or pop that pill or whatever. If you feel that there's something holding you back from otherwise going into something that you might have gone into, that is known as preventing grace. It's the grace of God that is available and actively involved and engaged in your life before you are even aware of it or can even articulate what it means. Now, in order for Wesley to try to help teach and help people understand how this grace works, he used a model of a house, so to speak. And so you'll see there in the parenthetical statement, it's the front porch of a house. So if you imagine a house and you walk up to the, to the front door, you get on the front porch, you haven't done anything but gotten onto the porch, right? You see the door there in front of you, maybe some windows with some cute shutters or wicker couch with some gnome pillows, like what you would see at our house, right? You see all these decoration things, but you have no idea what is on the other side of that door. God's prevenient grace, or preventing grace, the grace that exists before our awareness of it, is the type of grace that takes us to the front porch. But maybe, maybe your experience of the house is kind of like something I experience this morning when I was out for a walk. I guess the new neighbors that moved in across the street, and when I walked past their house, I could smell bacon and eggs cooking. And I so wanted to go knock on the door and introduce myself. I had Millie with me, which would have been a complicating factor, but I have a feeling we could have worked with it, worked around it, right? It so reminded me the smell of the bacon and the eggs cooking. It so reminded me of when I would spend the weekend with my grandparents and my grandfather would fry up the bacon and cook the eggs, and that would be the smell to which I would awake. Something that's awakening 
an idea and a mindset within our hearts and our mind and our lives that there's something worth going to on the other side of the door. Are you with me? This leads us to our second idea of grace, which is called... Oh, oh, we have a Bible verse for this. So before we go uh, into the junk grace, not junk grace, I just gave the first syllable. Let's look at our Bible verse for this from Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 8. It says, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare to even die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. If you've ever heard me say, and I do this a lot around Christmas time, that God does not wait for us to clean our plates, clean our rooms, clean behind our ears or whatever to come and help us. He says, I want you to come to me and together we work to clean up your life. This is the Bible verse that inspires that in me. Is that God says, you don't have to be perfect to come to me. I just want you to come and I'm going to reveal to you what perfection is really about. You see, this changes the way that we so often and frequently think about our relationship with God. We think of God as though he's demanding something of us before we can even come to him. He says, no, come to me and you will see how I love you unconditionally. You can't earn my grace. I just love you because of who I am and who you are. And this is a gift that is freely given to you. So, that's the front porch. It's, you can smell the bacon and the eggs and the coffee on the other side of the door that's beckoning you to it. Which leads us to our second understanding of grace, which is justifying grace. Justifying grace is God's grace that convinces us that we are sinners in need of a Savior. It is the grace that pulls us to that point where we are ready to ring the doorbell and say, I recognize that there is something on the other side of this door that is calling and pulling me forward. There's something worthy and valuable about what's on the other side, and I want to go through it. The reason I picked that Steve Harvey reel for our bumper this morning was because of this very moment, that time where we see that there is something that is worth us pushing the doorbell or knocking on the door to be able to open it and go to it and go through it. But friends, let me tell you something else too. This isn't our Bible verse for this. But the whole idea about knocking on the door is also seen in Revelation verse three or verse 20 out of chapter 3, where we see Jesus say, I am standing at the door and knocking to the door of your heart. It's that prevenient grace, that preventing grace, that also begins to come into justifying grace that says, I recognize I am a sinner in need of saving. I need to do something, take some action, to knock on the door, to ring the doorbell, and to know that I am welcomed there. It doesn't really work very well with my illustration of just barging in on my new neighbors across the street from us. But if it were my grandparents, right? Imagine how awesome it would be to open the door and to see a grandchild there. Or my mom, to see a child and grandchildren there. The feeling of welcome, come in. It's about time, right? Right? With a smile on the face and love in the heart. That's how God's justifying grace works. But the other side of it, friends, and we cannot lose sight of this, is that it convicts us in our heart that there's stuff that we need to leave outside the house. Right? All the baggage that we might want to carry with us, all the baggage that can weigh us down and slow us down and hold us back, God says, Leave that out there. 
Because inside, I've got a meal prepared for you. In fact, I've got a whole brand new outfit waiting on the other side. Just come through the door and you'll begin to understand that which you can't even conceive of. We have the awakening in our hearts and our minds and our spirits about the bacon and the eggs that we smell on the other side of the door. We know that there is a welcome at the threshold of the doorway. But it's incomplete, isn't it? We can imagine. But as the Bible tells us, we can't even fathom all of the awesomeness that is on the other side of the doorway. So let's look at our Bible passage from Romans chapter 5, verses 9 through 11. We see, since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, which is the ability to come through the doorway, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Coming through the doorway is that reconciliation. Coming through the doorway is where we recognize that Jesus died for our sins, but more importantly, he wants us to live in his life, right? To answer the door, to come and experience the meal, and to find a whole brand new wardrobe and outfit just waiting for you. But you know what's interesting about the idea of reconciliation? Is that in the Middle East, the custom and the culture there, is reconciliation takes place typically over what? Someone say food. The food, that's exactly right. Reconciliation oftentimes takes place over food. It's when we break bread, metaphorically or literally, when we break bread with each other, we are saying, we are okay. We're all right. What did Jesus do with his disciples before he went to the cross? He had his last supper, didn't he? He had a meal with his disciples. A sign and a symbol of reconciliation that says... I love you. Things are about to get pretty hairy. And some of you are even going to disappoint me. It's all part of God's plan. But some of you are going to disappoint yourself. Jesus would say, my death is what will allow you to receive the forgiveness of sins that you have. But I want you to live through my life. We have two characters that are present at the Last Supper that end up betraying Jesus, Peter and Judas, right? After Christ's resurrection, Peter's life was radically transformed. And Peter became the rock upon which Jesus built the church. But before Jesus was even put in the grave, Judas took his own life, didn't he? Judas did not receive the grace and the forgiveness that Jesus had in store for him. Could you imagine how Judas would have been different if he wouldn't have taken matters in his own hands in that regard? If he would allow the death of Christ to wash him clean, but the life of Christ to reconcile and restore him for ministry in the world? Friends, there's a Judas here in all of us, isn't there? There's a meme that's circulating through Facebook right now that strikes me a lot. It's, it says, being a Christian doesn't matter so much how much we love Jesus in our midst. It's how much we love the Judas in our midst. Allow that to sink in. And how frequently are we the Judas? How frequently are we the one 
who betrays Christ with our actions, with our thoughts, with our words. But Jesus' death that convicts us that we are sinners in need of a Savior is the same love that says, come to me, even while you are still a sinner. This is Jesus talking. My goal, my heartbeat, is to welcome, to redeem, and to restore you. Once we accept that we are in need of a Savior, then we move into the third understanding of grace called sanctifying grace or perfecting grace. Sanctifying grace is God's grace that helps us grow to be more like Jesus. It is the expansive rooms of the house. The expansive rooms of a house. When we lived in Newnan, we had a very unique, but in my opinion, a very cool house. From the street, it really looked like a cabin. It was very narrow, but it was very long. In fact, it was so long that it had rooms upon rooms that when people would come into the house, they couldn't believe it. Almost every time someone would come to our house, we lived those 10 years in Newnan, someone would say, I had no idea this house was like that. From the front, uh, it just looks like a tiny little cottage. But when you move inside, it's amazing. There are all these bathrooms. There's this great bonus room, right? It's the expansive rooms of the house. And this is how sanctifying grace works in our lives as well. It's when you walk through the door and you get the sense that there is a welcome and there's a purpose for you being there. But you start to move through it and you realize, oh my goodness, there is so much more to this than I could have ever imagined. So much more to this than I could have ever dreamt or contemplated or dreamed. There's so much more to this. That's sanctifying grace. This is the grace of God at work in our lives that tells us and teaches us we need to be more like Jesus. The world sees so much of the way that we view Christianity as the front porch and the threshold of the doorway and not so much about what happens on the other side. Our justification is a moment in time. We recognize we are a sinner in need of saving, but it is sanctifying grace that welcomes us through the threshold and through the rest of our lives, through the journey and the excitement and the heartbreak and the misery of life lived in this world. It is that sanctifying grace that beckons us in to explore and to discover things that we had no idea that were there. The mysteries of faith, the majesty of grace. Romans chapter 5, verses 20 through 21, we see Paul wrote these words. Now the law came in to increase the trespass. In other words, to remind us and let us know how far we have to go since we're sinners. But, let's pick him back up, where sin increased... Grace abound all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. This is what we see working and moving in our life. We get through the threshold and we realize, wow, there's so much more awesomeness on the other side of this door than I ever could have imagined. Why would I have been so afraid to even knock on the door? Why would I have been so afraid to even walk through the threshold? Because on the other side, there's music, there's food, there's family, there's joy, there's mercy, there's grace, there's love that you haven't earned, you can't deserve. It's just God giving it to you because of who you are.
We have a summary verse or a summary two verses here that comes from Romans chapter 8, 29 through 30. And this is where the Apostle Paul wrote, For those whom he foreknew, meaning people he created, he also predestined, listen to this, to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. These verses reveal to us how Wesley viewed sanctification, justification, and prevenient grace. Now the whole idea about predestination here, uh, that's a concept for another day. But what we know from the way Wesley viewed it is that God created every single one of us with a plan and a purpose for our lives. We talk about that in baptism all the time, right? God created every single one of us. The predestination, so to speak, that Wesley viewed, that we need to hold on to in our lives, is that God is calling us and predestining us to be more like Jesus. And the way that we become more like Jesus takes us back to that preventing grace, the grace that keeps us away from the junk that we shouldn't go to or go through. But we inevitably are going to go to and go through some junk, right? It's the justifying grace that says, come through the door, come and experience the hope and the new life life that I have just in store for you. And once you come through that threshold and you ex- experience the expansiveness of the house, you're going to realize that there's so much more to life and so much more to living than you ever could have imagined on your own. This, my friends, is what God has predestined for every single person in this room. It's for us to be more like Jesus. To recognize that we have sin in our lives. And then we turn around and we see that God's been working for our righteousness and redemption and our salvation long before we were even aware of it. And in that moment, we're convicted that we are sinners in need of salvation. Then he offers us the free gift of salvation and he calls us into his heavenly home to experience the meals of reconciliation, to receive the new wardrobe of love and hope and peace, and for us to live our lives after the example of Christ. Our takeaways this morning are God's grace is a gift freely given. There's nothing you have to do to earn or deserve the grace that God puts in your life. God's grace is with you before you are aware of it, and it stays with you forever. And the ultimate goal of God's grace is to make us like Jesus. Our closing question how does God's free gift of grace convict you of your sin, comfort you with hope, and challenge you to live differently as a result? You can think about it like a house. Not too long from now, we'll be celebrating the holidays, right? Hopefully, you'll have an opportunity to receive an invitation to make a trip, maybe to go see friends or family. Perhaps you're even going to go over the river and through the woods to see Grandma, right? And you're going to go to that house. You're going to see that door there. You're going to smell turkey and dressing and pecan pie, maybe even candy corn, right, Christian? And you're going to ring that doorbell. And the door is going to open. And there's going to be a loved one there who is going to be so happy to see you. Throwing open their arms 
and said, I thought you'd never make it. I've been waiting for so long. Come in. And then when you cross the threshold and you go through whatever it is, the journey that's taking you to that point, you'll be able to do more than just smell the turkey and the dressing and the candy corn. You'll be able to see it. You'll be able to touch it. You'll be able to taste it. You'll be able to receive it. And with it, all of the love and the grace and the mercy that is there and in store for you. We don't have to wait until Thanksgiving or Christmas. We don't have to wait at all. Because today, God wants to offer an invitation for you to come to his house. To come to that door and to experience, even with just a fleeting way, what's happening on the other side. Hearing the sounds, smelling the smells, seeing other people gathering, coming together. We ring the doorbell or we knock, but we find that God has been knocking far longer than we knew. And the door is opened, and the invitation to come and to receive the joy and the beauty of everything that's made available just for you. To sit down with a meal, to experience reconciliation, salvation, redemption, restoration, and then to be clothed with this holy and powerful love that changes us from the inside out. So if you have felt Christ knocking at the door of your heart for any length of time. I want you to feel comfortable and confident enough to open and to receive his invitation, to come through the doorway and to experience the expansiveness of a life lived with Jesus. This is his invitation and calling to you and to me and to all the world. Will you join me in prayer, please? Living and loving God, I thank you for today, and I thank you for who you are and what you do in our lives. I thank you for the love that you've given us. And Lord, have to confess, all too often we take that for granted. We take that, we just take advantage of it. We take advantage of you. We think it's all about us. We want to make it something selfish or personal. But that's not what you have in store for us. So Lord God, I pray that you forgive us that we may walk up to the front door of your everlasting kingdom. And though we may feel a little trepidatious about knocking on the door or ringing the doorbell, to know that you've been knocking on the door of our heart far longer than we ever could have been aware. And so, Lord God, help us to take that step, but to receive the invitation and to hear it and to know that your one and only desire is for us to receive you by accepting your offer of forgiveness and to find salvation through it. And so, Lord, for the preventing grace that has kept us from some of the stuff that would have done us in or taken us under, I give you thanks. For for that justifying grace, Almighty God, that opens the door and helps us to know that we are sinners in need of salvation, that doesn't come with a condemnation, but it comes with an invitation to come through the doorway. We think we know what it means. We think we understand it all. But once we get through that doorway, we realize that there's so much more than we could have ever known or understood. 
And so help us to experience with excitement who you are and what you want to do and accomplish in our lives. The expansive rooms of your house. The heavenly banquet that is prepared just for us. And for all that happens between then and the, the time when we are welcomed into your forever kingdom on the other side of eternity. And so, Lord God, for the hearts that are turning their lives to you today, we know that there are celebrations breaking out in heaven. May those heavenly hootenannies inspire us, Lord God, to open our hearts and lives to help others to know that you're real, that you love us all and have a plan and a purpose for our lives. But here for this moment, may we experience your grace, your unconditional love that seeks to save us and to make us more like Jesus. For it's in his holy name we pray. Amen. Thank you again for joining us today. We are glad that you stopped by. Again, we want to encourage you to visit us online at placeofhope.org. If you're in the Paulding County area there, you can get service times, directions, and information about all of our awesome activities for children, for students, and for adults. Again, Hope Church is on a mission to introduce people to Jesus and fuel their love for him, and we hope to provide you the heart fuel you need to follow Jesus. Thanks again.